Welcome to the Husband Material Podcast, where we help Christian men outgrow porn. Why? So you can change your brain, heal your heart, and save your relationship. My name is Drew Boa, and I'm here to show you how. Let's go. Today on the show, we have author and therapist Andrew Bauman, who's actually the first repeat guest on Husband Material. Woo! Yes. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. This is actually our third episode because we did one on beauty, we did one on grief, and now we're talking about the sexually healthy man. Yes. Yeah, new book just came out with, and uh, I'm excited about it. I'm proud of it, and uh, got a lot of good feedback. And it seems to be really speaking, fitting the need in the market where we're having a nuanced conversation, um, not just about behavior modification, but literally how to get to the depths of sexual health. And then also not just focusing on porn, not just focusing on unhealth and focusing on what's wrong with us, but how do we become healthy? How do we actually step into what God has called us to, to be in our sexuality? And this is such a refreshing difference from purity culture. And yes, exactly. you talk about the two extremes that are usually answering this question, what is a sexually healthy man? And one is a shame-based answer, and one is shamelessness. Could you talk about the difference between shame and shamelessness? Yeah, for me, growing up in the South and the True Love Weights movement and um, Southern Baptist. I mean, it was just, it was shame, shame, sex is bad, sex is bad. And then throw in my own secret addiction to pornography for 13 years. I begin to hate myself, right? I begin to turn on myself so much shame and self-hatred that I couldn't actually get out of my addiction because I needed that addiction to um, objectifying women to help me survive the self-hatred and the contempt. And so it's this vicious cycle. And then, you know, um, later in my development, in my healing, 13 years ago, start graduate school to become a therapist, then uh, move out to Seattle. It's this much more progressive idea, which was so liberating in so many ways. And then I begin to experience this other side, which is this shamelessness, which is this like, no, we're free from shame. So there's no rules. Um, there's no, there's no boundaries. There's, I can just have sex with whoever I want, whenever I want and do whatever I want. And let's just call it good. Let's just bless it. Let's not judge people for, you know, whatever harm they're perpetrating. And the thing is, is I don't want to shame people or judge them, but also to know that even though it's permissible, it's not beneficial, right? Mm -hmm. Like you've heard that before, like what is actually helpful to our healing not just, am I allowed to go this far or do this sexual thing? Or It's just porn has taught us these things and we've pornified our sexuality in such a way. Um, and so that's kind of the, the picture of the two extremes. It makes a lot of sense. It sounds very familiar to me. It's mm -hmm. almost like the angel and the devil on my shoulder of shame yeah. on the one side and shamelessness on the other side. Right. Right. And, and that's the thing. When, when so many of us have grown up with porn and have it taught us how to be sexual men, it's like we have these and then we have this religious structure that says one thing. What a cluster of mixed messages that sets us up for failure. 
And that's why I'm so glad for you and other guys in this work that are having these conversations that are much more rooted, um, yeah, without that shame. And also that calls us to something more that has calls us to integrity as well. It's almost as if the church has given us a very clear, vivid picture of what a sexually healthy man is not, right? This yeah. is sexual unhealth. Yeah. This is sexual unhealth. And then porn has actually taught us a lot of things and been our educator and our parent in so many ways. And it's given us a exactly. picture of sexual health, which is so unhealthy. Yes, it's not healthy at all. It's about domination, subjugation, objectification. It's about dominating, making women less than. Um, it's rooted in violence against women. And then we take that and then we mix it with kind of the subtle sexist messages of the church that men are somehow better and that we are somehow, you know, yeah, in charge. And yet, as we learn how to objectify and dominate women. Yes. And it and really sets us up for failure. Yes. And also men with porn featuring men, it's yeah. Yeah. equally unhealthy. And we have a lot of listeners here who are attracted to porn, which does not feature women. And yet it's still dominating. It's still objectifying. I was struck by your yes. description, Andrew, of mm -hmm. being addicted to objectification. Yes. Because what does objectification give us? If we sit with that, I, if I feel insecure inside of myself, and if I feel shame or self-hatred, objectification gives me a, an instant hit of power. Mm -hmm. um, it instantly makes me feel better than you, more powerful than you. I can feel like a man, right? And so it's this false sense of I'm going to devour and objectify and I feel better. I feel stronger. And again, it's, it's a false sense. It's a hit just like any other drug. Uh, that'll get you through a little bit until you fall flat on your face. So porn is giving us the illusion of power. Yes, exactly. And we get off on that, right? That's part of the arousal. <laughs> That's yeah. part of the arousal of it. You know, it's this, 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 I feel strong. I feel powerful. And Again, it's a false sense of power that does not come from our deep center or, or who we are. Right. And it doesn't come from God. And I can see how, especially this year, 2020, when so many of us are feeling powerless. Yes. That porn exactly. use would increase. Exactly. Exactly. Powerless to change, powerless yeah. to fix. We have to then, we are front, confronted with our futility, <laughs> right? We're confronted with our powerlessness. So then we have to grieve. Then we have to face our brokenness. We have to tell the truth. Oh, how about I just masturbate and look at porn? You know, because I don't want to feel those things. And you give us such a beautiful invitation to feel, to grieve, to come back to our bodies in this book. What does it mean to come back to my body? If somebody's hearing that and they're like, uh, I'm in my body when I'm using porn. It's very physical and sexual. Right. Yeah, I, I, I would say that couldn't be further from the truth. Ba basically, when we, when we use pornography, we have to disconnect. Okay, so I remember for me, um, later in my porn use, I was a pastor as well. And I, I had to disconnect, right? Because what if I told the truth? What if I said that I was harming, objectifying women on Tuesday night 
and then preaching, you know, to the youth group and the college students on Wednesday night. And what if, like, I can't live with that type of disparity. I have to split. I have to psychologically split. So that's where I become two different people. That's where I become this, you know, dynamic preacher and then this hidden secret shame um, that ends up destroying me, literally destroying me and end up in a psych ward about 15 years ago. Like, so to, to the steps of death, because I can no longer live with the duality within myself. I had to become a single authentic person um, and not live with that split. So porn was not taking you into your body. It was splitting you into two separate people. Exactly. Exactly. So there's that feeling where you almost look at yourself from above, right? As I'm looking at myself, (laughs) pretending to do life. Um, And and what I've realized working with men um, so much is that we're actually way more disconnected than many of our female counterparts because women, um, their menstrual cycle, many of them giving birth, many of them, they are forced to engage their bodies in a very unique way where we, the only thing that roots us in our body a lot of times is just pain, physical pain, Mm. Um, which, which some of us just kind of make the whole man up the whole socialization of masculinity is so damaging because then it just, again, we push through our pain. I remember uh, about 13 years ago, I attempted a through hike of the Appalachian trail. Um, and I was about 600 miles in or something. And the pain in my feet started just killing me, just killing me. I couldn't walk. So I hitchhiked to a doctor, a foot doctor, and they gave me some pills. I just started pounding these pills um, and I went and ha- hiked another 300 miles. And I literally, by the end, my feet would swell up so big. I'd have to ice them in the rivers. But my masculinity was riding on if I could finish this trail, this 2,173 miles. Um, I wasn't a man if I didn't finish this through hike. And yet I couldn't walk. I'm literally using my trekking poles as uh, crutches. And my feet are swelling up so big. I can barely take a step. Um, I'm in so much pain and I just kept pushing through until literally I couldn't walk um, and hitchhiked from almost Maryland back to North Carolina. And for five years, I couldn't walk barefoot because my the pain was so intense. I abused my body to try to fit into a masculine stereotype about my strength when really I was just a fool. I was anything. There was no wisdom in what I was doing. I was harming my body for the sake of trying to be a man. Um, And it's so sad. It's so heartbreaking. Hearing you say that breaks my heart, man. Because with the guys in this group, with the guys in this podcast, so many of us are abusing our bodies. Yes. 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 We don't realize it. We're going to work Mm -hmm. each day and just disconnecting from porn. It's the most kindness we're offering ourselves in the whole day because we're trapped in a cubicle or we're at home working remote and hours on end on the internet. And it's just, it's just so sad. Exactly. Exactly. It's so heartbreaking. And that's where I can have such kindness to, to men who feel so trapped because it's like, yeah, this is, you feel like this is your best way out. This is what you feel like kindness is. And yet it ends up being its own prison. 
And for me, it ends up trapping me so much that I literally almost commit suicide. Um, like it, it steals. It first feels like it's a gift because you finally feel pleasure. You finally feel desire. You finally feel all these good things that are God ordained. And yet it ends up trapping you in a new prison. I have this image of you refusing to listen to the message that your feet were telling you. Yeah. And in the name of masculinity, ignoring it, avoiding it, pushing it down, in the same way in our bodies, our pain is telling us something. And as you yes. say in the book, you must address the pain beneath the porn. Yes, yes, exactly, exactly. Our bodies tell the truth, right? Our bodies, they know what's going on, but yet porn dulls that sense of connection. Mm -hmm. It dulls that sense where we can read our own bodies. Yeah. Right? We're numbing out, we're disconnecting. And so part of the book I write, I write about, you know, male embodiment, like how do we enter? How do we begin to practice blessing our penis, blessing mm -hmm. our genitals, yeah. blessing our bodies, even though we feel like they've done much harm, how do we begin to honor and bless um, our bodies as good? I can hear someone hearing you say that, blessing our penis and thinking, what? <laughs> my penis is the curse man doesn't uh, paul say uh put the flesh to death right oh i remember man those prayers of just wanting to cut off my testicles you know wanting to cut off my penis so i would stop using porn um, i remember all those accountability groups and you know we had the jackpot if we masturbated we had to put in five bucks i think i still want to go back to that church and see if our money's hiding in the <laughs> drop down ceiling because we just put a bunch of money in there. It was like nothing worked and I hated myself so much. And that's part of it. Do you know that God resides in you? He calls your body a temple. Are you really going to curse where God lives? Mm. You are an image bearer. If you curse yourself, if you curse your penis, you curse God. Take that one to the bank. <laughs> go, you know, go talk to your pastor about that one. It might not go over too well, but that is so true. God is integrated within us. And if you curse your penis, you curse God. Um, so will you learn to bless? Will you yes. learn to honor the God yes. in you? Yes. Amen. Bringing blessing, bringing honor, experiencing kindness. You know, your wife has written this book, Theology of the Womb. Yes. I think we need a theology of the penis. It's in the works, man. My... Uh, <laughs> My buddy and I, my buddy and I have been developing it. Basically, sadly, it's based on mostly patriarchy and domination. Historically, how that's looked, right? And so we gotta name how we've used our penis as a part of conquering and devouring. But then we have to reclaim what a healthy theology of the penis looks like. Um, but it is, it is in the works. But it's, it's a ways out. Okay. Well, I look forward to that Unless, whenever yeah. it's coming out. I mean, the books seem to be flowing out of you these days. <laughs> yes. I got, I got a lot to say, right? I spent so many years devouring and harming, you know, and so sadly it was the hard teacher. And so now, um, as I've worked hard in my own therapy for 15 years, working hard um, to become a man I can respect again, um, sadly, it's given me a lot of story. 
It's given you a lot of story. That's another big part of the book, learning to enter our stories, to write our stories. Exactly. Yeah, I share um, a story of my own abuse um, in the book and then have folks like, how do we learn to engage story? Because it's a, how do we become safe, a person to tell a story to? How do we learn to tell our own story? And so to use my own story as a model. And then, and it's something that I do in all my men's groups is we have to learn to be vulnerable with each other. That's how we build intimacy and connection. That's how we re, retrain our bodies from the porn use is we have to become, yeah, we, we become differently in how we engage. So you're telling me that by writing a story from my life and reading it to other men, I'm retraining my body? Yeah. Retraining your body, how to have connection, right? How to engage, how to learn, how do I learn to hear a story? I cannot adequately love myself well. Um, like I can't, if, if I don't take my own story well, I'm not going to take someone else's story well, right? Mm. I'm not, I can only take someone as far as I've gone myself. And so if I don't do my own story work with my own grieving work, my own sto- um, knowing my story of abuse, how am I going to honor another? How am I going to enter? And that's why you see a lot of pastors not being able to do that work well. Um, we weren't trained how to, how to engage each other's stories. Man, that's so good. And it allows us to hold the story of a significant other, of a spouse. Exactly. Exactly. It's rude. That's how we begin to have intimacy and connection with, with, with our spouse, right? With, with somebody that we love and care about because porn has trained us to be disconnected in our engagement, disconnected, disembodied with our sexuality. How do we then reverse that if, when we've actually loved someone? Like I remember, you know, 15 years ago when I met my wife and just realizing like, oh my gosh, like this woman is legit. Like I cannot, I, I'm, I'm a poser. Like realizing I couldn't bear her. And so I sabotaged it you know, nearly ruined the relationship. And then realizing, sitting in a, my first year class under Dr. Allender, listening to him talk about marriage, dating another beautiful woman. And I'm like, what am I doing? I love Christy. Like, why am I dating this other woman? But I was still acting out. I was kind of on the last parts of my acting out where I went to five different colleges and just tried to date the hottest girl at the college. You know, I was just like always looking for that answer always looking for that woman to save me when I didn't know real love, when it showed up in my life and I fell in love and then ran from it because real love exposes the faults. Like every time real love exposes, uh, you know, the, the imposters and I was an imposter. So real love was going to expose me. So I had to end it. I had to sabotage it before I got exposed. (laughs) Wow. Self-sabotage. This is a category which many of us can say, oh, yep, that's me. I do that to myself. Right. But if I'm struggling with that, where do I go? Yeah. What do I do? Well, yeah, you got to find a good sage. You got to find some good help. You got to, um, you know, go to good, good therapists, Um, connect, connect with you, connect with me. Um, you know, like you got to begin to get, um, some assistance in this work of stopping this sabotage because you'll never be fully liberated. And I love how you have connected this story work and this body work, which 
maybe on the surface level doesn't feel like it applies to porn and relationships, but in fact, it is the deepest, most crucial thing that we need to do in order to heal. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I started, you know, I was trained in more narrative therapy in the last four years. I've really begun to integrate somatic body work into my work. So we're doing crazy stuff. I mean, you know, I'm, I remember in men's group, I had this guy break this door down with a baseball bat and like, you know, I mean, we're just like fully engaging our bodies, you know? So I have people wrestling on the floors, full out beating each other up, you know, but it's just like, we got to engage our bodies. We have to begin to bring our bodies to the table because our bodies have been brought to the table in the harm. So we got to bring it into the, into the work, you know? And so, yeah, a few months ago, men's group here on the East coast, we did, you know, I mean, I had, we basically, I took these pillows and I just had, had this guy stand in the middle and I just said, everybody hit him, beat him up. And then I told the guy in the middle, I said, take our pillows. And then I had the guy, I told the outer guys, I said, guys, don't let him take your pillows. And we just start whacking on this guy and he's this, you know, super nice, kind, genteel man. And then all of a sudden he starts getting annoyed because we're whacking the crap out of him with these pillows and we get harder and harder. And then something, something switches in him and he just starts like some strength and nights and he just starts ripping the pillows out of our hands and like tackling us. And it was just like, there you are. There you are because your strength, like our anger, there's a healthy anger and it's connected to strength. And so when we give away our strength, we get, when we give away our anger, we give away our strength because people think that um, anger is equated to aggression, right? And equated to violence because that's what we've seen. And so, so many men have given away their power and it's like, no, we can actually be angry and we can be strong in a healthy way. And we can step into our power to overcome porn. And that's the type of work um, that I'm doing and that I'm loving. Oh, so for this guy, ripping those pillows out <laughs> gave him a redeemed experience of power. Yeah, he stood up strong, right? He stood up, his, his back went straight afterwards and he looked us in the eyes, right? And it's just like, he just embodied, he just did the work, the emotional work of, of in a sense, feeling like a coward and feeling weak and he stepped up and he took us on. And there's so much of life that requires us to take on that, Mm. that says, no, you know, we practice screaming. No, we practice screaming. Stop. We practice these things of how do we get our voices back? Because Mm. we've lost our voices. We've lost our power. And part of uh, overcoming unwanted sexual behavior is actually becoming powerful. Mm. And one of the things that I break away from like SA you know, their first thing is we're powerless to stop our behavior. And it's like, I get that. And that's actually kind of important to name at the beginning of the process to name your powerlessness. But if you stay powerless, you will not overcome this. You will not, you have to own both your glory and your depravity. You can't just be powerless. We actually need you to be powerful um, and step into who God has called you to be. Come on. Woo. Bring. Andrew, there's so much blessing and adventure. Like when I hear you talk about that pillow fight, I'm like, man, I want to be there. I want to be a part of that. Yeah. And what a difference from the typical purity culture accountability group, which is just so cerebral and spiritualized versus getting into our bodies, getting into our stories. Like that is a 
much more healthy picture of what it means to function as a man. It's it's more centered. It's it's more integrated. Yes, exactly. We cannot cut off our masculinity. And yet we also need to not be violent. We also need to not be aggressive. And how can we own own both and really step into this? And this yeah. directly impacts how we engage the world and how we engage our sexuality. At the beginning of the book, you open with some words that sound to me like the most simple yet revolutionary, mm-hmm. unbelievable truths. You say to your readers, I believe in you. Mm-hmm. I believe in your goodness. I believe in your ability to self-reflect, to break down and let go, to be humble, to change, and to heal. Yes, I deeply believe in men. And people you know, get on me a lot because I speak out against men a lot. And they're like, you're just a man hater, whatever. You're just a feminist. And I am a feminist. And yet I am a feminist because I love men. <laughs> I'm a feminist because I believe in men so deeply. And so many times men get such a bad rap because, and we're required. So like, we're not like not required as much. There's almost like this benevolent, like, oh, well, he's just a man. He'll never emotionally connect. It's just like, oh my gosh, do we really think that poorly of men? Like, what if actually you can expect a lot because let's start requiring a lot of men because it's actually in them. That's who they are. I believe in men so deeply that I speak out against the violence that I see and that myself and my gender perpetuate. And that's what you were saying earlier. True love reveals the imposters. Exactly. Exactly. And isn't that a call to health and true manhood? It's like, hey, we're going to be real about all of our crap, about the stuff we don't like about ourselves. We're going to go deeply into our stories, the ways that we have been harmed and the way that we have harmed others. And in that place, we're going to learn how to be human. Exactly. Exactly. And, And yet, like I remember four years ago coming out with an online course called What About the Men? Engaging Male Violence. It sold like four courses, um, you know, because men don't actually want to deal with their violence, right? Mm-hmm. Men don't actually want to be held accountable and engage their their own selves so many, like, in so many ways. Um, you know, I speak out, uh, write about men's issues. I checked on my Facebook the other day, what, like 9,000 something followers, 83% are women. Eight, like, I'm writing to, to men. Why are women, especially abused women, so drawn to my material? Because they're longing for authentic engagement that they're not getting at home. They're, they're longing for like somebody tell the truth about what I'm experiencing because so many men are not stepping in to what they need to be, right? And so that's why I'm encouraged by your community and other folks are saying, no, I'm going to own my part. I'm going to tell the truth about my myself, but you also need more tools. You also need to continue yeah. to, to be authentic. Um, so, yeah, so your wife won't feel as lonely as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're trying to create a safe place, kind of a sandbox yeah. for us right. to practice these things. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Sometimes our theology can get in the way, and sometimes our theology needs a little bit of a tune-up. When you say, I believe in your goodness— I hear somebody replying, what do you mean? I'm a sinner. Only yes. God is good. Yes, yes I, I, know, I know that well. 
I grew up hearing, you know, all about original sin, bad, 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 bad. And I get that. But, but here's my theological pushback to that. Before Adam and Eve sinned, before sin, sin entered into the world, there was such thing as original goodness. <laughs> we were good before we were sinners. Bingo. What if our journey's not back to original sin, but it's back to original glory? What if we are meant to return back to who we're meant to be before the fall? I have clients come in and it's so easy for them to engage their sin. I've done this. I've done this. I've done this. I'm crappy this way, that way. So great. So, you know, so, so am I. The work isn't just to name your sin. The work is to get back, the hard work is to get back to your original glory, into your original goodness, who God has meant you to be. That is what actually is the hard work of therapy. It's not naming your sin. That's easy. It takes about 10 seconds. But entering in your glory can yeah. take years and years and years. Yeah. And I hear you saying we need to do both. And we're probably yeah, better at yeah. one than the other. Well, here's the thing. You can't actually step into your glory without naming your depravity. You can't, you know, go ahead and try. Like you can't because stepping into your glory requires you to be honest. Well, are you going to be honest with your failures? <laughs> <laughs> right. I can't be good at my job as a, a therapist and an author. If I don't name my 13 year addiction to pornography and the objectification and devour of women, I don't want to, I, I, that part of my life brings a lot of shame mm. and yet, I have to. And that's actually, that's what makes me really good at my job. Oh man. What, what a definition of true health of true maturity yes. is right. being able to bring out my immaturity and my unhealth. Yeah. That's exactly. paradoxical. Exactly. And yet that's what, that's what actually makes people feel safe with you because it's like, look, I'm very human, right? I don't trust, I don't trust anybody that, kind of presents too well. Like I don't, I've seen too much. I met with too many people, right? 53% of pastors use pornography. Like I've seen too much unless you show me how you bleed, right? Unless you can show me your humanity, then I will begin to trust you. And I will go to war with you, like on your behalf with you next to me. Like I will fight with you, but like only until I see you bleed. I will not bleed. You know, so many clients, I'm just like, eh, you're not ready to work with me. You know, see ya. Um, because it's like, I'm not going to bleed more than you are. Like, I'm, I'm willing to walk with you, but I'm not going to go places that you're not willing to go. I've got stuff to do. Sorry. You know, uh, it's just like, I'm not going to waste my time and your money. Um, and, and so it's like, we've got to really go for it. And, and it's going to hurt. Redemption cannot come without crucifixion. Right. Resurrection cannot come. We're going to suffer unto res resurrection. And that's a good thing. We will suffer with him so that we may be glorified with him. Exactly. Not so exactly. that we can erase our physicality or our sexuality. Exactly. Not so that we can get rid of our emotions. C right. Come into the beauty and strength, which we've had all along. Yes, exactly. Man, exactly. it strikes me that our sin is temporary, mm -hmm. but our goodness is eternal. Beautiful. Well said. Because it's who, right? If we're image bearers of God, that means God is in your face. 
so curse, go ahead and curse yourself. And next time you curse yourself, I want you to stick your middle finger up to God. And I want you to say, F you God and see how that feels. Mm. I bet it's going to change how you engage yourself. If you Mm. start just blatantly cursing God out loud, it's going to feel, but that's what you're doing every time you curse yourself. Yeah. You curse the very face of God because you are an image bearer of God. And what if we integrate (sighs) God's spirit, God's image so much that you can no longer engage in self-contempt without cursing the very Mm -hmm. face of God. Loving ourselves and loving God are not two different things. No, it's integrated, completely integrated. Right. And it's not some pop psychology. It's not some pop psychology that's just like, oh, love yourself. You know, it's just like, no, it's integrated. It's integrated in us. God, we are temples of God. This is where God resides. His spirit lives in us. Yes. If God is your father and Jesus is your brother and the Holy Spirit lives in you. Mm -hmm. And we have everything we need to become sexually healthy men. Exactly. There's another piece of relating to ourselves, which I find really important, which is trusting ourselves. And so many mm-hmm. times trauma causes us to mistrust ourselves and to get out of touch with our gut and our felt sensations and always second guessing myself and feeling like, oh, well, I'm sure the other person is seeing it more clearly or just kind of yeah. cutting ourselves down and, and feeling right. like I can't trust myself. Right. It goes back to being disconnected from our bodies, right? I mean, it goes back to that conversation of we cannot trust ourselves if we're disembodied. And so this healing work that you're doing of becoming more embodied, you'll begin to then trust yourself and you'll hear the voice of God inside of you, inside Mm. of your body, as you begin to trust your body of like, what is right? Actually, you know, here I'm like, what, 12, 13 years sober from porn. And, you know, I'll be watching something and I'm like, you know, Again, it's not, but this is probably not good for me to watch. Probably not helpful. I've been sober forever. And yet some of my friends, you know, therapists, sex therapists, he watches some crazy stuff, you know, watches a bunch of nude, but he doesn't have the story I have. Hmm. You know, he doesn't, it's just like, I, I actually have to protect myself a little bit more because of where I've been and my propensity to objectify. So in other words, in that situation, trusting yourself doesn't mean, oh, I can handle it. I can watch whatever I want. Mm-hmm. Trusting myself means, hey, there's a little warning signal going on. Yeah. I, I probably should turn this off. You know, yeah. I, I probably shouldn't. I don't want to watch this. This isn't good for me. This doesn't help me honor women more. Um, you know, and I probably need to change it because we live in this pornified culture that's constantly pushing that narrative um, that women are objects, that women, you know, it, it's just not the it's not a lie that I believe anymore that I want to consume anymore. And so I'm always listening to my body of what should I do? What should I do? You know, but when I'm disconnected from my body, then it's just, then I just try to white knuckle purity Mm. and it just doesn't work. Yeah. That is a losing battle. Yes. (laughs) No matter how many times we win, all it takes is one defeat to feel like it was all for nothing. Right. Yeah. It's not, it's not helpful. What I hear you saying is, Rather than taking that militaristic approach of white knuckling it and fighting the battle for purity, what if we were much more concerned with listening? Yes. And with loving God, ourselves, and other people 
Yes. And then seeing results in our character as a byproduct. Exactly. Exactly. One of the examples that I use in my book, Stumbling Towards Wholeness, is the idea of a monster at your door. Right. So you hear the you hear the banging at the door, you know, boom, 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 boom. What do you immediately do? You look and you're terrified because it's a monster. And so you run and you hide. And then what happens? Like the monster doesn't go away. It actually you actually just end up paralyzed hiding in a corner. Right. Like sucking your thumb, like like trying to soothe yourself, terrified of whatever that monster is, rather than what if you say, you know, hey, um, I, I've got 10 minutes to talk. You can come come in, have a seat. Um, then you'll have to go. Why are you here? What, what, what's going on? What's going on? Shame. What's going on? Self-hatred. What's going on? Fear. What like how can I how can I serve you? How can I be of help? Um, yeah, we've got about five more minutes. So you can talk and then you have to leave. Like I'm in charge of my own home. Hmm. I'm in charge here. Um, you can come again tomorrow. Hmm. Grief. Yeah. You can come again wherever yeah. you feel. But I'm going to engage you. I'm going to have conversations with the things that I fear most rather than just run away, rather than shove the couch mm. up against the door, hammer nails and two by fours and block you because then the monster still controls you rather mm. than you get to have power. You mm. get to engage the monster on your terms. You get to have conversations and see. And what you'll see is that these monsters are no monsters at all. They're normally just really scared little parts of you that have yet to be healed. Amen. The little boy inside. Exactly. He's frantically fighting for something, mm. right? That literally just needs to be engaged. It needs to be loved. And as long as we're avoiding him or attacking him or ignoring him, the little boy is in the driver's seat. He's in control rather than the sexually healthy, mature man of God. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Andrew, what does it mean to be a sexually healthy man? Yeah, it's a great question. I would argue that you can't be sexually, you can't be spiritually healthy and sexually healthy. Like they, they go hand in hand. You can't be, they're not separate. And so mm -hmm. as you en engage spiritual health, you engage sexual health. As you engage sexual health, you engage spiritual health. And so I have a whole, whole list of kind of attributes of what it means to yeah. be a sexually healthy man. Um, and, and those are, you know, those are very helpful engagements. But l let me just let me just name a couple of them um, for your folks. So to be sexually healthy means to be present, not distant. It means to be authentic and true. No more secrets. No more hidden life. It means to have community, not be isolated. It means to live in reality, not fantasy. It means to engage humility, not arrogance. Right? That's the same thing. We know our brokenness. We're not going to be arrogant when you know your depravity and your brokenness. Um, it produces humility. Um, a sexually healthy man is mature, not immature. He honors. He doesn't objectify. He's mutual in sexuality, not selfish, right? It's about mutual giving and receiving of pleasure. Um, it's about kindness and not aggression. It's about patience and not demand. Um, it's about strength and not insecurity. And it's about being unashamed, not ashamed. And so those are just some, some things that we dive into um, in this book, Sexually Healthy Man. And I hope you guys pick it up. Yeah. And people can go online. You've created an online quiz so that we can answer That's some right. questions and see where we're at. That's right. Yeah. We'll put that survey um, you know, link 
in here. And uh, yeah, you can test if you are a sexually healthy man and, or if you are a partner, um, you can test to see if your partner is a sexually healthy man. And then it gives some resources and whatnot at the end. Yes, we will include those links in the show notes. And we are also doing a giveaway. Got five copies of The Sexually Healthy Man here, which we will be giving away live this week as this episode comes out at a live Q&A with Andrew Bauman. Yes, I'm excited to give those away and uh, excited to do that Q&A so we can engage some of your listeners. Sweet. So if you want to attend that live Q&A, hop into the Facebook group and we will see you there. Andrew, thanks so much for being with us today for talking about this. It was fun, man. Yeah, had a blast. Thanks for having me, man. Third time's a charm. I'll see you uh, the next book, uh, number four, maybe next year. <laughs> Theology of the Penis. There you go. There you go. Sweet. What is your favorite thing about being a sexually healthy man? Mm, that's a great question. I would say it's being shame-free. I spent so many years and it felt like absolute prison. So scared that I was going to be exposed. So scared um, that, that, yeah, somebody was going to find out that I was a fraud, that I was not who I said I was because I wasn't. And for the last 12, 13 years to be porn free and to just be me in every arena, you will find me the same person as I am as a therapist, as I am with my wife, as I am at church, as I am, you know, whatever. Like, there's no more secrets. And that, to me, is the greatest gift. Praise God. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. And I will see you at the live Q&A. For everyone else out there, always remember, you are God's beloved son, and you, he's well-pleased. Amen.